0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Macabre for Mortals. I'm going to be covering a much lighter topic this week after the last three weeks' heavy episodes about a narcissistic personality disorder. I'm also so pleased about all the feedback that I've received for the series. This week I'm going to be covering some Greek myths and the history behind them. In secondary school or high school to my international listeners, I was fortunate enough to have classics and Latin as part of my curriculum. I loved anything to do with the ancient Greek and Roman civilizations and how their languages has influenced all of our modern languages and the world today in general. So for this week's episode I am actually full geeking out to my past passion. Myths, legends, folklore tales, they all seem too far removed from the fast faced metropolitan age that we live in. Nevertheless, both the ancient Greeks and Romans were certainly unmatched in their abilities to create extraordinary tales which continued to stand the test of time. But which classical myths are most relevant to today's world? Let's delve into these fascinating classical myths to find out. The myth of Pantheon and how it can explain global warming The narrative of this particular myth stands out more than any other when it comes to our most perilous moment modern issue, climate change and global warming. The myth of Python, son of God, Helios, seems like an eerie prophecy of our current climate crisis and it bears a striking resemblance to reality. The story goes that Phaeton, who had lived with his mother, swore to prove to his peers that his father was Helios by driving the sun chariot across the sky, an act that even the gods were incapable of. Helios decided to meet his father for the first time, who was so delighted to see him, and he promised to grant him his first wish. Phaeton didn't hold back from demanding he be given the chance to drive the sun chariot across the sky for a day. At request, his father scorned at first, but against his son's stagnant stubbornness, eventually fulfilled anyway. He advised him against all the risks and dangers, and most importantly, to never use the whip. Blinded by excessive pride and quick hold of the range, Fighton disobeyed his father and used the whip anyway. This caused the horses to go wild, and he eventually lost control of the Sun Chariot, which inevitably caused havoc in the sky and the Earth. Ultimately, when the news of Phaeton's misdemeanor reached Helios, brother of Zeus, he angrily struck a lightning bolt into the sky, which hit Phaeton in the chest and sent him hurling down to Earth and into the river Eridus. The gods have managed to spare the Earth from further disaster, and the planet's slow road towards recovery had begun, so they said. Some philosophers and theologians argue that today, just like Phaeton, humans have deluded themselves into believing that they are able to take advantage of their free will and control the reins of nature, even if it means polluting the earth to such a point of destruction. Hercules and his 12 healing labors teaches us to differentiate typical punishment from penance. In modern psychology, we're often told that the best ways in which to communicate our negative feelings is to release them through more positive means, such as creativity, exercise, and other therapeutic tasks, which often involve hard work and intense physical exertion. Similarly, when we do something wrong, most of us immediately feel guilty and try to make up for it. Because of this, it's most important to recognize the difference between punishment and penance. Punishment essentially serves to impose a penalty on the offender for his or her offense, whilst penance is often inflicted upon ourselves and bears a meaningful level of suffering and pain that should prove more effective in preventing the offender from committing the same wrongdoing again, something which is evident in the story of Hercules and his 12 healing labors. Hercules was one of the son of Zeus, and is often noted for his chivalrous character and strong, courageous demeanour. His real story, of course, is much darker than the Disney film. He certainly harboured a dark side which later became evident when he went mad and murdered his own wife and children in their sleep. Despite this, and despite the claims that this horrific decision was wholly fueled by his arch-nemesis, the Goddess Hera, The gods were livid and consequently sentenced Hercules to 12 years of almost impossible life-threatening tasks. Of course, from this, it is clear that those in authority, the gods, didn't take into consideration the likelihood that Hercules might have acted on insanity and that, considering his respectful past, shouldn't have been held this accountable for his terrible crime. Another notion that's commonly raised in criminal court cases today. Nevertheless, Hercules was able to successfully complete every one of the impossibly grueling labours and was cleared of all guilt and granted morality by the god Apollo. Sounds fair to me. Now, moving on to some general Greek myths Theogony, the clash of the Titans. According to Hoseidon's Theogony, in the beginning, there was only chaos. Dense darkness covered everything until the earth was born out of chaos and the mountains, the sea, and then the sky, Uranus with the sun, the moon, and the stars. Then Uranus and earth came together and they gave birth to the Titans. But Uranus was afraid that one of his children would take his throne. That is why he enclosed every one of them in the depths of the earth. But his son, Cronus, the strongest of the Titans, defeated him and became world leader. He married Rhea, who gave birth to two gods and three goddesses, Hades, Poseidon, Hera, Hestia, and Demeter. But Cronus inherited the fear of his father and believed that one of his offspring would later take his throne. So when they were born, he swallowed them. However, Rhea was expecting a sixth child and fearing it would share the same fate as her other children, she secretly gave birth on a mountain in Crete and hid the newborn there. She named the child Zeus. She also tricked Cronus into thinking he'd swallowed his child too, by giving him a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes, which Cronus swallowed thinking it was his newborn. The nymphs took care of Zeus and fed the baby with the milk of a goat. When he grew up, Zeus found his father and tricked him into drinking a mixture of wine and mustard, which caused him to disgorge the contents of his stomach. Zeus's older brothers and sisters came out of Cronus fully grown. This is how the great Titan Myrachy began. The war between the Titans and the gods with Zeus as their leader. This titanic battle lasted for 10 years. The gods defeated the titans and threw them into Tartarus, a dark and gloomy place as far from the earth as the earth is from the sky. Then the gods fought with the giants for the dominance of the world. And the Jodanktmi lasted a long time as well. But the gods were again victorious. Thus Zeus became the ruler of the whole world and he and the other gods were settled in Olympus. The Three Sisters of Fate In Greek mythology, the Morai are the three goddesses of fate. Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropos. The three sisters weave the fate of humans and gods alike. Neither human nor God has the power to influence or question their judgment and actions. Clotho, the youngest one, spins the thread of life. She is the very origin, the creation of life itself, and her thread is spun upon the birth of a person. Lachesis is the second sister, and is the one that allocates the fate of people during life. Her name comes from a Greek word, which means to obtain from lots. In that sense, one can understand that their destiny is chosen out of a myriad of possibilities. And it is said that Lachesis measures the thread of life with her rod, determining its length and nature. The last sister of fate is Atropos, the unturning. Atropos is a cutter of the thread of life. And with her shears, she determines how someone will die. Prometheus and the theft of fire. We have met Prometheus before. In my retelling of Pandora and Pandora's box. One day Zeus distributed gifts to all the gods, but he didn't care much for humans. The titan Prometheus, however, because he loved and felt sorry for humans, climbed upon Olympus and stole the fire from Ephesus' workshop and put it in a hollow reed and gifted it to the humans. This way, the humans could create fire, warm up, and make tools. Zeus became very angry when he heard about this. He took Prometheus to a high mountain, the Caucasus and chained him on a rock with thick chains made from smith god, Hephaestus. And every day Zeus would send an eagle that ate Prometheus's liver. For thirty years Prometheus remained bound in the Caucasus until the great hero Hercules, Zeus's deadly godson, released him finally from his torment. The Abduction of Persephone by Hades Persephone was the daughter of Demeter and Zeus. As Persephone grew, so did her beauty. When Hades, the god of the underworld, saw her, he immediately fell in love with her and decided to abduct her. According to the Homeric hymn to Demeter, one sunny day, the young Persephone was gathering flowers in a field, accompanied by her close friends and the ocean nymphs. The carefree Persephone moved away from her companions in search of the most beautiful flower. When she reached out to pluck the wondrous Narcissus, Earth yawned open and Hades appeared in his golden chariot and snatched her away to the underworld while she was in tears. Demeter was looking in vain for her daughter day and night. The land on the crops of the Earth began to wither. After a while, the sun, looking at everything from the sky, felt sorry for the goddess and told her what happened. Demeter went to Zeus and demanded that Persephone be returned, or else she would not let the earth blossom again. Zeus sent the messenger god ha- Hermes to Hades with the command to release Persephone. Before returning her to Hames, Hermes, Hades performed forced Persephone to eat six pomegranate seeds. Hades knew that if someone ate food from the underworld, they could never really escape the world of the dead. Persephone was soon shortly reunited with her mother. However, Demeter was furious when she heard about the pomegranate seeds. Zeus then proposed a compromise. For every seed Persephone had eaten, she would spend a month with Hades. Demeter accepts Zeus's proposal, thus Persephone would travel to the underworld every six months, during which time Demeter would mourn, and the earth with her. But after six months, Persephone would return to her again, and Demeter would be happy again, and the earth would blossom again. This story is part of a mythological explanation for the seasons and how we have winter with an autumn with the slow death and decaying of the earth and spring with the slow life of the earth and summer with the prolonging of spring thesis and the minotaur in greek mythology Minos, sun Androgonus has been treacherously killed while he was in Athens. Minos immediately sought revenge from the Athenian, and as retribution he had them send Crete several youths every seven or nine years to be devoured by the Minotaur, a terrifying monster, half man and half bull. The young Athenians were thrown into a dark maze full of arcades of dead ends, wandering aimlessly until the Minotaur would find them. Theseus, son of the king of Athens, Agaius, did not endure this humiliation and demanded to be among the seven young men that were sent for the third time into the labyrinth. So he arrived in Crete and met Minos, daughter Adrea, of whom he fell in love with. Adraea then gave Theseus a lame spinner, known as Adrian's th- thread and advised him to tie his end to the entrance of the labyrinth and unwrap it so that he could find the exit after killing the Mandator. Theseus entered the dark arcades holding the might and managed to kill the Mandator by cutting off its head, thus ending Minos's bloody rage. He then managed to return to the exit following Adrian's thread. Theseus then took Adrian with him on his boat and began his journey to Athens. However, they made a stop on the island of Naxos where they celebrated their love. While on the island, the god Dionysus appeared in Theseus’s dream and told him that he had to leave the island without Andrea since she was meant to stay there and become Dionysus' wife. Andrea stayed in Naxos and married Dionysus. While thesis returned to Athens. The two lovers never met again. Daedalus and Icarus. The labyrinth in King Minos's palace was designed by the famous inventor and engineer Daedalus. It is said that Athena herself taught Daedalus. King Minos commissioned to Dylanus and his son Icarus the construction of the labyrinth that would hold the monster the minotaur. After finishing their work, King Minos imprisoned the father and son inside the labyrinth in an effort to prevent knowledge of his labyrinth from spreading to the public. Father and son were thinking hard on how to escape until Dilanus came up with an idea. They gathered a lot of feathers from birds and glued them together with wax, thus making four large wings. They tied the wings to each shoulder and fled from the island of Crete. Delanos had warned Icarus not to fly too close to the sun because the wax would melt. But after passing the island of Delanos, the boy forgetting himself flew high towards the sun. The hot sun softened the wax that held the feathers together and Icarus fell into the sea and drowned. Dolanus named the place where his son fell in a cry, in his memory. The Myth of King Aegeus The legend has it that before Theseus left for the palace of the king of Minos in Crete to kill the Minotaur, Aegeus' father, the king of Athens, asked him to change the sails of his ship from black to white on his return home so he knew that he had survived. Aegeus waited patiently in Sontunio to see his son's ship return and the colour of its sails. Theseus, although he killed the Minotaur and got out of the labyrinth safely, he forgot to change his sails to white. Seeing the ship with the black sails, Aegeus thought that his beloved son was killed. Sadness and grief filled his heart and mind, and without waiting to get the news from the men on the boats, fell from the rocks in Santuño into the sea below. Since then, the sea is called the Aegean, in his memory, and his son Theseus became the king of Asset. The love story of Eros and Psyche In Greek mythology, love has the highest praise. Psyche, meaning soul in Greek, was an impressive mortal girl surpassing in beauty even the goddess love of Aphrodite. Her beauty was so well known that men from all over the land would visit her to admire her beauty. This made Aphrodite extremely jealous and decided to punish the girl. She ordered her son, Eros, who could make someone fall in love by hitting them with his arrows to make Psyche fall in love with the vilest and despicable creature who walked on earth. However, when Eros gazed upon Psyche, he fell in love with her. He could not carry out his mother's order and instead he remained silent. The years went by and despite her beauty, Psyche could not marry. All men admired her godly beauty, but then would go on to marry another. Her parents decided to go to Delphi and ask for guidance from Apollo. The Oracle said that Psyche had to dress in black, climb a high mountain alone and stay there. Then a winged serpent would come for her and take her as his wife. Psyche and her parents had no choice, but to follow the God's words. As she was waiting alone on the mountain, shaking or crying, the fresh wind of Zephyrus raised her and travelled her through the sky to the gates of a magnificent castle. There, a sweet voice greeted her and made her feel like home. Every night, Eros would come in the dark and lay beside her. Without seeing him, Psyche could feel that he was not a monster but the loving husband she'd always been wishing for. The following days passed in full joy and Psyche was happy. However, she missed her family and felt sorry for them. She asked Eros to let her see them. And he granted her wish after warning her not to be influenced by them. Otherwise, their relationship would be destroyed and she would suffer a lot. The next day, her two sisters, carried by the wind, arrived to the palace. They felt jealous of their sister living like a goddess and told her that her husband did not allow them to see her, because he was a horrible creature that the Oracle had mentioned. The idea overwhelmed the mind of Psyche, who could not understand why her husband would not show his face, so she devised a plan. She decided that when Eros falls asleep next to her, she would light a candle to see him. If he is a monster, she will kill it with her knife. Otherwise, she will happily fall back asleep. And so she did, but after seeing his face, a drop of hot oil fell from the candle and woke Eros up. He immediately left her, saying with a heartbroken voice, Love cannot live without trust. Psyche was really sorry and sad, and she could not find Eros anywhere. Desperate, she appeared to his mother, goddess Aphrodite, and asked for her help. Aphrodite told her that in order to reunite with her loved one, she would have to carry out three impossible tasks. With the help of nature and others, she managed to complete all the tasks and return to Aphrodite. Despite her success, Aphrodite got angry with her and yelled to the poor girl that she would never let her go. Witnessing all of this, the other gods of Olympus sent Hermes to tell Eros everything that had happened. Eros was touched by Psyche's love and returned to her. And from that day on, the couple lived happily ever after. As a wedding gift, Zeus allowed Psyche to taste the drink of the gods, Ambrosia, making her immortal. Aphrodite was also happy because now that Psyche was immortal, the men would forget her and worship the true goddess of beauty once again. the fateful love of Orpheus and Eurydice. In Greek mythology, Orpheus was the greatest lyre player in the whole world. He could charm rocks and rivers with his music. When Orpheus fell in love with Eurydice, he wooed her with his song. Their marriage was brief, however, as Eurydice was bitten by a viper and died shortly after. Devastated, Orpheus journeyed into the underworld to convince Hades and Persephone to return his bride to him. Orpheus managed to pass through Cerberus, the three-headed dog who was the guardian of the gates, by making him fall asleep with his music. Maybe you can remember something like this during the Harry Potter books. When he played his lyre, the king and queen of the underworld were moved by his song. They agreed to let Eurydice live again, on one condition. She would follow him while walking out to the light from the darkness of the underworld, but should not turn to look at her before she was out into the light. As they started descending towards the living world, Orpheus began to think that it might be a trick, that the gods were just making fun of him and Eurydice was not really behind him. Unable to hear Eurydice's footsteps, Orpheus finally lost his faith and turned to look back. Only a few meters away from the exodus, Eurydice was in fact behind him as a shade that would become flesh again when she was back into the light. After Orpheus looked at her, Eurydice's shade fell back into the darkness of the underworld, now trapped in Hades forever. the tragic hero, Oedipus. Laius was the king of Thebes and married to Juska. Laius has received an oracle from Delphi saying that his son would kill him and marry his wife. When Juska gave birth, Laius tied the baby's ankles and ordered a shepherd servant to take it to the mountains and abandon it there to die. However, the shepherd took pity on the baby and passed it to another shepherd who gave it to the king of Corinth and his wife, who did not have any children and raised it as it's own. They called the child Oedipus, meaning swollen feet in Greek. When Oedipus grew up, he traveled to Delphi, where the Oracle gave him the prophecy that he would kill his own father and marry his mother. Shocked by the words of Apollo, he did not return to Corinth so as to avoid his father and mother. As he was traveling near Thebes, Oedipus met Laos at the crossroads and killed him in a fight without knowing he was his real father, thus fulfilling the first part of the prophecy. When he reached Thebes, he learnt of the Sphinx a terrible monster that devoured anyone that did not solve its riddle. It was proclaimed that whoever managed to solve the riddle and kill the Sphinx, he would take the throne of Thebes by marrying Lars's riddle, Josca. Oedipus was successful in solving the riddle and killing the Sphinx, and he married Josca and together had four children. Little did he know that the children were also his siblings. While Oedipus was at the peak of his happiness, there was an epidemic in Thebes, and Oedipus thought, sought the advice of the Oracle of Delphi. The Oracle's answer was that in order to stop the epidemic, Lars' killer must be found and punished. The investigation that followed led Oedipus to the truth, Upon realising the truth, Joska, his mother and wife, hanged herself. Oedipus then seized two pins from her dress and blinded himself with them. This is truly a great tragedy indeed. I will touch on this another time, but obviously a lot of people would have heard about Oedipus Complex, about sons admiring or loving their mother, and this is the story where this one actually originates from. The one-sided love story of Pan and Shrinks Pan was the god of fertility and the patron of shepherds and huntsmen in Greek mythology. He presided all over the rural occupations and he was chief of the satyrs and head of all rural divinities. According to the common belief, he was the son of Hermes and a wood nymph and came into the world with horns sprouting out of his forehead, and a goat's beard and a crooked nose, pointed ears and the tail and feet of a goat. He had such a repulsive appearance at the sight of him, his mother fled in dismay. However, Hermes took up his curious little offspring, wrapped him in his hair skin and carried him in his arms to Olympus. The grotesque form and the merry antics of the little Pan made him a great favourite with all the immortals, especially Dionysus. And they bestowed upon him the name Pan, meaning all in Greek, because he had delighted them all. Pan's life was defined by his relationship with the nymphs. He loved them deeply. He was dancing and playing music with them, and some of them loved him too others hated him and were running away from him a very complicated relationship indeed and his mother issues appeared soon enough the spirit of the reed tree comes from a nymph her name was shrinks pan was one to cause her doom he was in love with her and wanted her at any cost He was chasing her after trying to make her his so in order to escape him she transformed herself into a reed tree and she hid by the river amongst the other reeds, but Pan would not stop there. He went down to the river and started ripping off every reed until he finally found her. He ripped her off the ground and started blowing into the pipes to get her spirit out. While he was blowing he realised that the beautiful sounds were coming out of the reed pipes and he decided to bind them together into a big flute and started making music come out of them. Oh, what beautiful music he made from them. From then on, he would never leave his flute and he would always play for the other nymphs to dance to. My sources this week were Greekstravelers.com, which gave me a lot of background information on things that I knew the story for, but I needed a little bit more clarity in them. And also the topuniversities.com where I had a little bit more insight into some of the classical myths that are relevant today. I've only covered about half of the myths that I actually wanted to, as I didn't want this to be an excessive episode, but I did want this episode to be slightly lighter than the past three and the next three that are coming, but after the next three part series, I will finish off the Greek myths in another lighter episode. Next week, I will be starting the series on post-traumatic stress disorder. Again, I will be following the same formula as this dissociative identity disorder and the narcissistic personality disorder. As I feel, and the feedback that I've received, people felt that this flowed more and gave the most information. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre Mortals. If you have any questions or anything that you would like me to cover, then please drop me an email at macabreformortals at gmail.com or DM me through my Instagram at macabreformortals. As I said, the next topic is going to be um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And if you have any information that you feel could add to the series, then please feel free to message me. I love to hear people's input in these series. I hope you have a great week ahead of you, and I hope you all stay very safe wherever you are in the world. Bye.